In today's episode of the Dad Tired Podcast, we're talking about being completely honest with God and the possible ramifications of not being. If you'd like to win a free copy of the latest book by today's author that I interview, you can go to dadtired.com forward slash doubt. Again, that's dadtired.com forward slash doubt. Before we dive in, though, I want to thank my friends over at Samaritan Ministries for sponsoring today's episode. Samaritan Ministries is a biblical solution to healthcare. They connect you to hundreds of thousands of Christians across the nation who care for one another spiritually and financially when a medical need arises. The prayers, encouraging notes, and money you receive to help pay your medical bills assure you you're not alone. It's biblical, it's affordable, and you can join today. Let me tell you how it works. Samaritan Ministries is not insurance. It's a community of Christians paying one another's medical bills. When a medical need arises, you choose the healthcare provider and treatments that work best for you and your family. Medical bills are sent to Samaritan Ministries, and then they notify members to pray and to send you money for your shareable bills. The money received is used to help you pay for your medical bills. There are no restrictions, so you can join today. You have the freedom to choose the doctor, the hospital, and the pharmacy that works best for you and your families. The other cool thing is they have online resources available to help you choose a provider, to price medical procedures, and 24-7 access to medical professionals by phone or email to get medical advice before you visit the doctor, saving you time and money. I absolutely love what they're doing. Again, it's biblical, affordable, and you have the ability to join today. Go to SamaritanMinistries.org slash dadtired. Again, that's SamaritanMinistries.org slash dadtired to learn more today. AJ, so glad to have you back, man. We had you here, I think it was a couple of years ago, talking about Sabbath. That episode is very popular, especially we have a, uh, a family leadership program where guys come in and they talk about kind of really in depth what it looks like to be the spiritual leaders of their home. And one of the things that we talk about consistently in that program is Sabbath. And so that episode that you came on and you shared with us and, and your book on Sabbath has been such a great resource for many of our guys. Today, though, we're talking about a completely different subject, or maybe they're intertwined. Maybe you can help me figure that out. But today we're talking about doubt. You just wrote a book on doubt. I'm curious, as we jump in here, why write a book on doubt? Is that something from personal experience or just that you experienced as a pastor, people in your ministry? Why the book on doubt? Sure. It is a joy to be back and overjoyed to hear that conversations about Sabbath are happening and that men are having them for the sake of their kids and their family and their their wives and their own souls. So that praise Jesus for that. Yeah. So doubt. Yeah. So my March 2nd in a month, my book on essentially on deconstruction and doubt is coming out with Brazos. And the rationale behind this book, there are a number of reasons why I wrote it, but I think the the main one is after a period of about 10 years of serving in pastoral ministry before I was an academic and teaching I teach here at Bushnell University in Eugene, Oregon. Before that, was a pastor in Portland and had the opportunity to sit in the front row and watch what it looks like to live in an environment that really does question and challenge everything that people used to think. (laughs) So past traditions or past thoughts. There's been a lot written on this phenomenon that we call presentism, which is the heightening value of the present over all from the past. So whatever we think now 
is more important than whatever we used to think. Mm. C.S. Lewis called it chronological snobbery, <laughs> this sort of arrogance that we have arrived and we're there. I had the opportunity for 10 years to sit in that environment and watch what it's like to be a Christian in a place like Portland. Yeah. And out of that period of 10 years, a lot of stories and a lot of experiences and a lot of my own reflection was refined. And I've come to really believe that one of the areas of spiritual formation and discipleship that Christians do not think through is we do not understand how to follow Jesus through doubt and deconstruction. And as a result, usually when people start walking through those, they assume they're done with their faith or something like that. And so this book is about the fact that one of the disciples was known for doubt. <laughs> Doubting Thomas, it's in his name. And, and that there is a way to follow Jesus through these experiences of doubt and deconstruction. With so much to unpack there. I wonder how much of this, especially in recent years, when we've seen kind of major Christian people who have quote unquote big names in the Christian space who are coming out and saying, I no longer have faith in Jesus. I'm no longer a Christian. And then you read their stories or maybe listen to their story on a podcast and it started with doubt and it kind of led them on a path that eventually ended up in, I'm no longer a Christian. I wonder if that though, hearing those kind of stories kind of makes the church and Christians afraid of saying, I don't even want to talk about this <laughs> because either one, people are going to think I'm, I'm going to end up on that same path or destination or two, uh, maybe if I do explore it in my own mind, I'll end up there too. And so I just don't, I'm just going to kind of shove that under the bed and not really think about that anymore. What would you say to that? I would say that the fear of actually, actually naming what is true is a very dangerous fear. And what I mean when I say that is, so we have a word in the Bible. We have a word for telling the truth. We have a word for telling God what is true. It's the word confession. And confession is simply naming what is real, what is true. Mm -hmm. And when we confess to Jesus our sin, when we confess to Jesus our doubt, when we confess to Jesus our struggles, there has never once been a moment in our life when we have done that. And Jesus has walked away more informed about our lives. <laughs> so well um, said, We yeah. have been known every second of every moment of every micro, we have been known. And whatever doubt we struggle with, God already knows about it. And to name it to the living God is actually just an act of saying, God, I invite you into this. Mm. I need you. There is a trajectory. I think there's good deconstruction and bad deconstruction. I think good deconstruction is, are those moments where we receive the faith from a group of people, right? We were all given the gospel by somebody and we receive a love for the Bible. We receive a love for faith or a love for Jesus. We receive a love for evangelism. We, we receive those good things. But you and I both know, Jared, that there are parts of our, in our faith journey that we were handed stuff that was not good too. Yeah. And I remember when I first met Jesus at 16, I went to a, an awesome, really conservative Baptist church in my hometown. And they taught me to love Jesus. They taught me how to read the Bible. They taught me to evangelize. I am so grateful for those things. I still do it. They also taught me to have a really low view of women. Mm. And I had to learn to receive the good stuff and spit out the bad stuff. Yeah. And that's good deconstruction. Bad deconstruction is when I chuck the whole thing 
just because I'm throwing my hands up in the air and I'm done. Yeah. And what we need to learn to do is invite people by the spirit of God to lead us to undo the things that are not of God, which is called good deconstruction and to keep following Jesus on the middle of it. So I think there's a lot of fear and I get it hundred percent. There's a lot of fear that we're just going to destroy our whole faith if we start being honest with God. But I would say that if we're not honest to God, then it's going to lead to a cataclysmic event where we are done altogether. Wow. So how much do you think that doubt is actually part of the Christian journey? Or mm. it may be said more directly, should be part of the Christian journey. And kind of a, a tagline or a follow-up question to that is, based on what you just said, should it be done in the context of people that you love and trust and yes. not alone? hundred percent. I am not ignorant. I feel like some people who have written books, who Shago named, written books on doubt, I feel like have done a pretty good job of ignoring parts of the Bible that warn us about doubt. I mean, there's, there's sections in the book of James, as we know, that talk about the man who, who doubts who's the double-minded man and warns us against giving ourselves into this realm of doubt. And I'm not ignorant of these texts, but I'm also not ignorant of the other texts that reveal to us that Jesus makes room for doubters. Mm. And for example, you read in the New Testament epistles, be merciful to those who doubt. The implication is that they're among you. In Matthew chapter 27, when uh, Jesus resurrected Jesus, calls his disciples to himself, it says that they came, worshiped him, and some doubted. I love that we have a disciple who is named Doubting Thomas, who would eventually be the first missionary to go to India. Mm. And if you ever meet a Thomas Christian, which there are millions of in the world, if you ever meet an Indian whose last name is Thomas, it's because of Doubting Thomas. He took the gospel there. So yes, doubt can be very dangerous, but doubt can also be a really important place where we meet Jesus. Mm. I think of doubt in some respects, a little bit like sneezing, You can't really control it when it comes, but we all know that sneezing is really healthy Mm. and that when you hold it in, you're holding in something that your body's trying to get out. I think there's times that we need to sneeze. Mm. It's really awkward watching somebody who's got a sneeze and they hold it all in. (laughs) Like, no, they just look really funky. You know, in a way, when those moments of doubt come, we can't control those existential questions. They come. I don't know, Jared, do you think it's better that we invite Jesus into those doubts or that we do it on our own? I think it's important that we do it with Jesus. You said something interesting there that inviting Jesus into those moments, you know, kind of not holding in the sneeze, you know, embracing it can actually lead you closer to Jesus. And I think that's where people will just feel stuck. Like anytime I've heard about doubt or entering into doubt, I always hear that it, it leads to now I'm no longer a Christian. So unpack for us, like, what would it look like to step into doubt? And all of a sudden now you find yourself more in love with Jesus. Okay. So trust the new Testament word for faith is, is trust. Pistis. It's, it's a faith trust. They're, they're the same. So when we say having faith in Jesus, what we're saying is trusting Jesus, right? Trusting Jesus, trusting that his death actually covers me, trusting that his blood is the life that I have, trusting that he kicked death in the face and was resurrected, okay? So in human terms, the person that I trust the most in terms of a person that I know is my wife. Mm. I trust my wife more than any person in the world because I know my wife has my best interest in mind. I trust my wife more than anybody in the world, but I do not trust my wife not to lose my keys. (laughs) She 
is always losing my keys. <laughs> and I trust her with all my heart. Yeah. When I say we trust Jesus, too often when we say we trust Jesus, what we are meaning is that Jesus is going to give us everything we want. Mm. And you hear it in our worship songs, right? You're never going to let, never going to let me down. Hogwash. Mm. If you follow Jesus, he will let you down. Mm. What does it look like to trust Jesus? But not in the, he's never going to lose my keys sort of way. See, I trust Jesus more than I trust my, but I do not trust Jesus to not hurt my feelings. Mm. I do not trust Jesus to give me everything I want. I do not trust Jesus that I'm going to have the job I want for the rest of my life. I trust Jesus that Jesus has my greatest interests in mind and loves me more than anybody and is going to do whatever is necessary for me to grow up as his son. Mm. I think we have confused trusting Jesus with trusting Jesus for stuff. And the difference is <laughs> so fundamentally different. That is why there is a generation of kids who reject the faith, who read, I kissed dating goodbye. Mm. Because they were handed a vision of trust that said, if you truly trust Jesus, you will get the wife and the husband that you wanted and you will be sexually happy and all this stuff. And they found out it's not true. Yeah. There is a difference between trusting Jesus and trusting Jesus for stuff. Bro, that is such a good word, man. Hey guys, if you would like to win a free copy of AJ's new book on doubt, all you have to do is go to dadtire.com forward slash doubt, enter in your email address, and we will let you know if you win. We're going to give away several copies. So again, go to dadtire.com forward slash doubt and be entered to win a free copy of his new book. So we're talking about now our kids or kids that have been passed on a faith that, you know, we're talking about that generation, which I grew up in that generation, right? That I, I was in a church and everyone should read, I kiss dating goodbye. And if you do this, this is what God's going to do for you when you get married. And I agree with you a hundred percent. A lot of those kids ended up growing up and figuring out, man, this isn't what I was taught in the Bible. This didn't work out in real life the way that I was told. And so I'm bailing. How do we as dads get to the spot where we can teach our kids about faith without shoving it yep. down their throat so that they're not the kids 10, 15, 20 years from now who are like, man, everything he told me kind of, it didn't make sense, man. Or this is, it didn't play out to yeah. be the way he said it is. Uh, yeah, I'm out of here. Question. Okay. So there's a debate in parenting circles, a debate, no doubt, because you're an awesome podcast you've wrestled through. And the debate is, if you're going to have an argument with your spouse, do you do it in front of your kids or not? Right. <laughs> There's actually a lot of the academic literature around this. Like if you're going to have an argument, do you go quiet, quietly go into the room and shut up and do it in there and then come out and everything's happy? Or do you do it in front of your kids? There's a lot of arguments on both sides. There is a generation of kids who were raised in the church who never saw their parents argue. Everything was happy, clappy. And then when they were 18 and they graduated, their parents got divorced with no notice whatsoever. Because for 18 years, they never saw, they never saw the reality of marriage. Yeah. Somehow, I don't know where it came from. I don't know where it came from, Jared. But somewhere along the way, we taught parents that the best thing they could do for their kids is to hide their own faith struggles from their kids. Mm. I don't know where that came from. I don't know if it's, uh, I don't know where to put my hand on it. But I know this, when I, in the right way, not in a burdensome way, 
I think of my son as a sheep. He's not a camel. It's not his job to carry my junk for mm. me. He's a sheep. But when I honestly, in the right moments, actually invite my son into the things I struggle with, not in a burdensome way, the things he can handle, it actually empowers my son to have a theology of suffering at a very young age. Mm. That's so important, but yeah. I think dad's but need. What I, yeah. what I mean is, I mean, this is Martin Luther. Luther said, you know, we tend to have a theology of glory or a theology of suffering. And that is that we are either happy, clappy, everything is fine, and we argue in the back bedroom. Or we actually suffer and make that a part of our faith journey, and it's difficult, and it's a part of our, it's a part of our story. And as a result of the fact that we hide our, our faith struggles from our kids, they are raised with all the answers, but none of the questions. I think the best parents are the ones that teach their kids the gospel and what is true and good and the vibrancy of living faith. But we also hand them the good questions too, mm. to pass along to our kids the great answers and the really great question. Because here's the deal. If we don't pass along the great questions to our kids, they will find them on a YouTube video or from our first year professor at the University of Oregon. And I can assure you that those videos and professors are not interested in walking young people through answers to those questions. They are interested in using those questions as a way to undermine you. There is power in a parent that invites the kid into the deepest, most sacred questions that, by the way, we've been wrestling with for 2,000 years, and it's not like we don't have responses to. But it's sacred, Jared, when a parent invites their kid to wrestle with their faith. In fact, that word Israel means wrestles with God. Yeah. That is literally the identity of God's people, yeah. wow. to wrestle with God. Wow. Here's what happens when we actually spend our adult parenting years protecting our kid from questions. is they go to college and they don't have strength to deal with hard questions. And there's a reason you will rarely meet a Jewish person who is allergic to peanuts. Because in Jewish communities, they feed peanuts to kids very early on. And so they develop, they can deal with it at a very early age. When we hand kids the challenges of the faith earlier on, turn, guess what? They actually turn out to be stronger people long term. Mm. And when you protect them from the hard things, that first year of college, it's brutal. And I, I'm telling you as a professor who's in the undergraduate classroom that I see year after year after year students who come into my classroom who were never invited into the questions and they come to college and it almost kills them. I'm not a Bible scholar, so you help me with this, but it's my understanding that many generations before us, that wrestling with the scriptures was actually part of the discipleship process. It was kind of leading into like these rabbis and these teachers, these disciples would actually try to get their students to a place where they were questioning so that they had a deeper understanding. Am I right on that or did I just completely make that up? Well, yeah, I mean, even the catechisms, you know, the Westminster Catechism, for example, is a series of questions and answers. It's a question and then an answer and a question and an answer. And I love that it has answers, but I love that it has the questions yeah. too. Let's hand our kids the right questions because bad questions will never lead to good answers. Mm. Let's give the right questions to our kids. Let's pass along the questions that they get to chew on their entire life. So yeah, no, hundred percent. Now I can't speak to previous generations. I mean, in terms of, you know, when or when not, we sort of kind of handed on this sanitized vision of, of passing along the faith. 
to our kids. I can't speak to the moment that that happened. But I can tell you, as an undergraduate professor at a, a Christian institution, that when a kid is lives in an environment where they are never introduced to the difficulties to following Jesus in this world, going to college nearly kills them. Mm. So I think on a parenting level, we need to see this as an element of discipleship. Where we, Are we willing to trust Jesus enough that inviting our children into the difficulties of faith is something that could edify them. I think that we can and we should be able to trust Jesus in that. But again, I am not saying overburdening our kids. I'm not saying waking up and saying, you know, that I've got some pretty compelling reasons why the resurrection didn't happen. (laughs) I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that. I'm saying in the right way at the right moment. I was in the hot tub. My my wife and I invested in a hot tub this last year. And for one reason, so that we could sit in the tub with my son and just talk. Mm. We at night sit in our hot tub for 30 minutes, 25 minutes, 30 minutes. And all of his questions start coming out. When you can't spend time with your kids, there's never time for them to actually bring out their questions at the moment they have them. Mm. But when you actually get to spend time with the kids, they bring out the questions at the right moment. We'll sit in the hot tub in and he will just, these deep penetrating theological questions. And I love the moment. <laughs> I love the moment when he asks a question and I get to say to him, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Re- re- remind me love. how old your son is. So people have context. He's, not, he's, he's not. Yeah. Great age. Yeah. I'm going to tell you why that's important. That is teaching my son that I have an honest faith. Mm. And I want him to know that his dad doesn't have it all figured yep. out. That's terrifying to some parents because they're just gonna Absolutely. they're just gonna think, oh man, if I don't come up with the same, I'm supposed to be the spiritual leader here. Jared keeps telling me on the Dad Tired podcast, I'm supposed to point my kids to Jesus. Now my kids are asking me a question <laughs> about Jesus, and I'm saying I don't know. Like, you know how <laughs> Yes. On the right things, Jared, when your kid asks you, did Jesus resurrect? You get all apologetic <laughs> on it, man. You like, yeah. And here's the reasons why. Yeah. Da, 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 da. Yes. But when your kid asks you questions like, why does God allow suffering? Mm. Don't you actually feel that it is disingenuous to offer a clean, perfect response to a question we've been wrestling with for 2000 yeah. years? Yeah. yeah. That moment in time, we are offering our kids permission to be able to simultaneously follow Jesus and not have all the answers. Yeah. That's good. Because following Jesus is not about having all the answers. It is about trusting in Jesus. AJ, you you said that you can't get a good answer to a bad question. What something to that effect? What, yeah, what? G- Jesus, man, like like it's really funny. For example, go read. Uh, I could pull out a hundred instances here, but the parable of the Good Samaritan. The little section before that, where the, the whole setup for that story is a religious guy who comes to Jesus and says, "What does it mean to be a neighbor?" But he's not actually asking an honest question. In fact, it says in the text he was trying to trap Jesus. And so what does Jesus do? Jesus asks a question back. He doesn't give an answer. He gives a question back. And the reason is, Jesus, the heart of our question will directly relate to the, to the answer we receive from Jesus. Hmm. And if our question is truthful, there's a difference between a true and a false question. We talk about true and false answers. There's true and false questions too. 
And sometimes our questions are not an honest desire to want to know. Our questions are an attempt at trapping Jesus. Mm. They are an attempt to undo the Bible. They're an attempt to undo what the church has said for 2000 years. I think that when we come to God with disingenuous questions and we really don't want to know, we're not going to get what we want. And Mm. so part of this is like cultivating in ourselves and in our kids, cultivating honest desires. There's a difference. When my student comes up to me, I do a lecture on sexuality. I feel like I'm so conservative when it comes to sexuality. It's ridiculous. I mean, so living in Portland pushed me very far to the right when it came to sexuality. When I have a student that comes to me, the minute a student comes to me, the posture of their question changes everything. There is a difference between a question with their arms crossed. Mm. Well, what are you going to do about da, 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 And a question of somebody who says, I'd really like to understand this. Like, how do I make sense of the, like the, you can tell mm. in a heartbeat, the posture of a question. And when our questions are bad, we cannot get good answers. Mm. Possible. So do you have any examples that come to mind when you're thinking through, okay, I'm, I want to wrestle with my faith well. Yeah. Uh, what's the posture? What's the question the, that I ask God? The serpent's first words in the Garden of Eden. Did God really say? That's not an honest question. He knew exactly what he was doing. Yeah. He, was, he was saying that to see the man and the woman. He knew exactly what he was doing. Did God really say that you shouldn't? Da, 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 da. That is fundamentally different. Because you are attempting to find what you want, not honestly seeking what is true. And you and I both know the difference between somebody who shapes the Bible around what they think and somebody who shapes what they think around the Bible. Those are two fundamentally different postures of life. At the end of the day, not all questions are good. Some questions, you know, Martin Luther was once asked, one of his students asked him, what was God doing on the eighth day? And he said, well, Martin Luther said that God was creating hell as a place for people who ask really stupid questions. Um, (laughs) And I, in, in, in a way, I, I know he's being tongue in cheek there, he's being funny, but I do think so many of our questions in our day and age are not honest questions. We want to trap Jesus and we want to be able to say we have outthought the Bible. Mm. That's just the tongue of the serpent, friend. Do you have any examples? Is it, are the, we going in good directions here, Jared? We're going, this is great, man. This is so okay. good. Yeah. As we kind of wrap up here, I'm thinking. Do you have any questions that come to mind? You talked about asking good questions of our kids and not always giving them the great answers. Do you have any examples of like, what would be a good question to ask your kids? Yes. Before I maybe offer that, I do want to just suggest that there is a difference between handing our children the faith as an act of faith and handing the faith to our children as an act of forcefulness. And what I mean by that is there does seem to be a lot of damage done in our world for young people who feel like the faith was forced down their throat. Mm. That at some point they felt like they were never able to choose it for themselves. They were forced to have it. In fact, one young woman, I remember this is in the book talked about growing up in a Christian home where her parents never gave her any boundaries. There were never any boundaries. And so her mom would always just barge into her room without knocking. She Mm. would just barge in and just, there were no boundaries in the house. She, in college, eventually kind of walked away from her faith. Well, in her young adulthood, what decided to sort of start thinking about faith again, which is very common, you know, you, you rethink and then come back. And she was reading Revelation, and she came across the line that said that Jesus stands at the door and he knocks. Mm. 
And she said that image was the most healing image in the world because she all of a sudden learned that Jesus Christ, (laughs) the God of the universe, had good boundaries Mm. and didn't force his way in uninvited. Like he gave consent. Like he, if you don't open, I'm not going to come in and dine with you. I think, I suspect that we could end up doing damage to kids if we never honor boundaries early on. That's the perennial tension. I want to hand my son the gospel and I want to hand my son the faith his entire childhood. And that by the time he's 18, you know, that he, he has heard the truth and knows it. I want that. But I also need to hand it to my son as an act of faith and trust God to take that message and take root in his life. Good questions to ask our kids. You know, at the end of the day, most, most often my son is the one with the good questions. As a parent, you find that your kids are willing to ask questions that adults who want to look smart aren't willing to ask. Yeah. And so I wouldn't say that we need to hand our kids the questions. I think that we need to start listening to our kids' questions a little bit better because they offer us. My, I love my son. He, he will ask the question that no adult would be willing to ask because they don't want to look stupid. Yeah. And out of the mouths of babes, baby. I mean, they just, they bring the best questions. My son's questions have made my faith so much deeper. I remember one Easter, he asked me if Jesus, when he went into the tomb, if he came out the other side. And we got to talk about the nature of resurrection. And I, and I said to him, Noah, he actually came out the same way. And we had this really beautiful conversation about how the path to death is often the path of life, that the way you go in is the way you come out. And that often those places in our life that represent the most pain and difficulty are the places where God touches the most clearly too. And we just had this brilliant, this was right before Easter. It just, it was because he asked a really good question, you know? So yeah, more often than not, I think our kids are the ones that ask us the good ones more than anything. Not here's, okay, Jared, here you go. Do this. Never chastise your kids for asking good questions. Mm. Allow their questions to be. Yeah. One and thing I try to say to my son often, he, he always asks good questions too. One thing I try to tell, like when he asks a good question, I try to say, that's a really good question, man. I'm not sure. What do you think? That's and it. Love <laughs> just it. Just try to, you know, see, is the spirit of God working in him? How is he responding to that? And I think it allows him to try to put flesh towards maybe any doubts that he has. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I just want to affirm what you just said, that you will actually say to him, great question. That's a really good question. That teaches our kids that we are safe people to wrestle out their questions with. Yeah. Again, we're all going to go somewhere to ask our questions. And unfortunately, too often than not, when it comes to doubt or deconstruction, people are going to podcasts over their parents. Yeah. And the result has been partly because they haven't felt safe to bring their questions to their parents. But you, there are plenty of podcasts that you and I both know where you can go and wrestle out questions, but there's never going to be any con- reconstruction or rebuilding. It's just yeah. a place to validate the questions. Yeah. Well, I don't just want my son to have questions. I also want my son to arrive at trust in Jesus. As we end our time here, for the dad who's listening, who's maybe currently struggling with doubt and, it, and he feels crippled by it, what would you offer to him as a way of encouragement? Yes. Just to be very clear, I am not inviting your listeners to put on your kids things they cannot handle. That is not what we are saying here. 
oftentimes for that father who is wrestling through their doubts and their struggles, what they so desperately need is a brother in Jesus who they can be themselves with. Mm. In the early church, they would call them confessors. Somebody who you can speak reality to and you're going to be loved no matter what. There is power in having a friend with a brother in Jesus who loves God deeply, who you can meet with and just say what is real and there are no consequences. There's power in that. Do not replace that with your kids. Your kids cannot play that role in their earliest years. So be cautious about that. Yeah. AJ, I'm so excited for this new book to be in everybody's hands. You're such a great thinker and writer, man. I appreciate you coming on a second time to grace us with your wisdom here on the Dad Tired Podcast, man. I will let you go so you can go teach the next generation of young thinkers. <laughs> <laughs> appreciate you, man. Thank you for All coming All right, friend. On. Thanks for having me. Hey, guys. Thanks for listening to this episode. Make sure to go to dadtired.com forward slash doubt to be entered to win a free copy of AJ's new book. You can also find out about our family leadership program by going to dadtired.com forward slash lead. We'd love to have you part of that. We'll see you next week.